following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. This morning we are in Genesis 45. So if you've got a Bible, pull it out. It's a good time to have it. If you've got the paper Bible, that's awesome. If you've got the, got the Bible on your phone, uh, if you're looking for a good Bible app, the U version is a really good one. Uh, and so have that out. Follow along, and here is our video scripture reading. This is people from across the three churches reading a selected passages from Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And then he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing nor reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. Take some cards from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind of your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So they went up out of Egypt and went to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. 
My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I came across an article the other day on stuff. It was called, How Long Before We Can Forgive? And it talked in the article about this guy, Willy Huber, who was a member of the Nazi party in Germany, worked for Hitler. And in fact, he was part of the combat wing of the Nazi party. So allegedly, he was involved in various war crimes during his, his time there. He was, he was part of this combat unit. And then after the war, Willy Huber left Germany and came to New Zealand. And he lived out his days in the South Island. In fact, Willie Huber founded the Mount Hutt ski field. And then last year, he died. And there was this fresh wave of public outrage about his past and about his crimes and his misdemeanors. And the ski field copped a bit of that because they had a, a ski run named after Willie Huber. And they had a restaurant named after Willie Huber. And so very quietly, they changed the names of both of those things. Although I think there's still a plaque there that has Willie Huber's name on it. And the article just asks this question, how long before we can forgive? Like in the, in the court of public opinion, how long do we hold someone's past against them, hold someone's crimes against them, and at what point are we willing to put that aside and move on? And it's one thing, of course, to ask that question in regard to someone like Willie Huber, who none of us know personally, it's another thing to ask that question personally, isn't it? That's when it becomes real. Like how long before I can forgive? How long before we can forgive? You know, it's easy, easy to talk about, but then when someone hurts us, right? when someone messes with us, when someone hurts our family, when someone does something to offend us, forgiveness is a hard thing to talk about, isn't it? It's, it there's a lot of painful emotions that come up. There's a lot of hurt there's a lot of angst that comes. It's a, it's a difficult thing for some people even to talk about. How long before we can forgive? Under what sort of conditions should we forgive people? What needs to happen? What if they don't show any remorse? Like someone like Willie Huber showed absolutely no remorse. Never any inkling of repentance from him. So, so under what sort of conditions should we forgive someone? How much time needs to pass? Does the severity of their crimes kind of, kind of weigh into it? Is, it? is it even really possible to forgive someone unconditionally for something? How, how does this work? They're tough questions, eh? Difficult questions. Questions that people wrestle with who have been hurt and been wronged by someone else, which is pretty much all of us. And those questions lead us straight into the passage this morning. These are the kinds of questions that come out of Genesis 45. Because Joseph had to ask that question himself. How long before I can forgive? And he didn't answer that in a theoretical way. So this wasn't just an intellectual exercise for him. This wasn't just a theological question for him. This was real. This was family. Because he had these 11 brothers who, at least some of them, 20 years ago, had left him for dead. They had, they had literally handed his life over to a bunch of slave traders, like human trafficking is what we're talking about, given his life into their hands for 20 pieces of silver, make a quick buck off him, and then watched as he disappeared over the horizon, assuming that it'd be a life of slavery, if not death. Like that, that was them. That's what Joseph's dealing with in his past. And now you have the passing of time and Joseph has now risen to become the prime minister of Egypt. So now he's the grand vizier of all Egypt. And now his brothers are standing before him. This is where we are in the story now. So now Joseph's hold, holding all the cards. 
He's got all the power in this situation. And he has constructed this brilliant test that has lured his brothers into a trap. And now they've been accused, Benjamin's been accused of stealing the silver cup. And he's going to become a slave. Judah's interceding for Benjamin's life. And Joseph is standing there with the power of life and death in his hands before his brothers. And Joseph now faces the most important question in his life. How am I ultimately going to respond to these brothers of mine that hurt me so badly all those years ago? And this is what the story has been building to all along. This is really the climactic chapter that we've gotten to today. Everything has been building, building the suspense, the anticipation. You can feel that, right? If you've read the story, it's incredibly dramatic. And here it is, this moment of tension in the story. How is Joseph going to respond? So let's see how it plays out in Genesis 45. Have a look. Just walk through it. Verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So Joseph's slaves kind of shuffle out the door nervously. And Joseph's chief steward leaves the room, closes the door behind him. Now there's nobody there except Joseph and his brothers. And then Joseph starts to weep. In verse 2, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians next door heard it. Like he just breaks down. He's carrying so much. You can just hear that, right? He's just got so much emotion there. He just weeps uncontrollably. And his brothers must have been like, what is going on here? What is happening with this guy? Like we knew he was a bit strange. He's treated us unusually. But what's happening? And Joseph then looks at his brothers and says these incredible words. Ani, Yosef. I am Joseph. And just think for his, for his brothers what that moment must have been like. Like the first shock is that he's speaking Hebrew. Like that in itself. So, so far, Joseph's been speaking Egyptian and he's been speaking to them through a translator. And now suddenly he's speaking their language. Like Joseph's speaking Hebrew. What's happening here? And then, of course, that shock would have been immediately replaced by the shock of what he just actually said, which is, I am Joseph. And they look at him. They look through past the, the headdress and all the thick eyeliner and the pale Egyptian skin. And they look and they see that this is Joseph. This is our brother. And just a bit like, how in the world has this happened? Their minds must have just been racing. How in the world is this Joseph? 20 years ago, we watched him on the back of a donkey go over the horizon as a slave. This happened. And then the shock of that moment, very quickly for the brothers, turns into terror. In fact, we're told in the next verse they were terrified. Because now you see what's starting to dawn on them. See, the important thing here is this, this moment, this is not just the revelation of Joseph's identity. This is also the revelation of a brother's identity. Like all of a sudden now they're exposed. Right? I mean, up, up until now, they could say whatever they want. Up until now, tell whatever stories they want. Joseph, they don't know Joseph. They don't think Joseph knows them. They tell some lies, get away with anything. But now he knows. Now they are revealed, and now their sin is exposed. Nowhere here, and he's got nowhere to run. 
Their brother, who they betrayed all those years ago, is right here, and he's got the power of life and death over them. And they must have thought, man, this is it. Right? I mean, wouldn't you? Like, they must have thought, that's it. So he, Joseph has laid the perfect trap. He's got us here. He's got us where he wants us. No escape now. He's, that's it. The next word we're going to hear out of his mouth is, you're dead. This is the end. He's, they're going to execute us, probably torture us a bit first. We are, we're goners. Like, they would have assumed this is the end of the road for them. And then just look at what Joseph says. Verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And they're thinking, I want to come close to you, mate. You probably got a knife or something in that robe. And they come close. And when had they done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, listen to this, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And the brothers are looking at each other, just going, what? Like, what is this Hebrew getting a bit rusty? What's he saying? What is? Suddenly Joseph is treating with this incredible kindness and this incredible compassion. They're expecting to hear a word that sentences them to death. And Joseph is saying, don't, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be too hard on yourselves. Don't beat yourselves up. God knew what he was doing. God's brought me here. God's had a purpose. It's, it's okay. And he just starts speaking to them in, in this incredibly compassionate way. And he wants to know about their father, his father. How's my dad? He wants to know how Jacob's doing. And he tells them about the famine. And he tells them about his, his position. And he tells them about what's been happening. And he says, go, go home and get your dad and bring him back. And bring your kids and bring your grandchildren. And I'll, I'll have some land here for you. Don't worry, you'll be provided for. It's going to be fine. Just, just come and, and, and migrate here to Egypt and you will be totally looked after. And then you get to all the way to verse 11. And, and Joseph just throws his arms around Benjamin, first of all. You can see the particular connection between those two brothers. And he weeps with Benjamin. And then he embraces all of his brothers. There's, there's kissing, there's weeping. And then this, this very telling phrase at the end of verse 15, afterward, his brothers talked with him. That's probably the understatement of the year, isn't it? Yeah, there was a lot to say. There was a lot, lot of talking that needed to be done. But there is this incredible moment of reunion with this family. Incredible moment of forgiveness as Joseph speaks a word of compassion to his brothers instead of this word of judgment they were expecting. Now, we can step back from the story and admire it, can't we? You know, like this is a very powerful story of forgiveness. It's probably the most powerful story of forgiveness in the Bible. There's various places in the Bible where it teaches about forgiveness, but this is the story, isn't it? Like in, in terms of real life, where you see forgiveness in action, this is it. And it's hard not to be moved by it. You read it. It's hard not to be stirred by the power of forgiveness and by the, the, the courage that Joseph showed in forgiving his brothers, by this amazing reconciliation that happened here. But here is the problem. I want to suggest that we all love hearing about forgiveness when someone else does it. That's why we love this story, because it's not us. We love the idea of forgiveness. You know, C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Isn't that so true? Come on, you know that's true. Right? We love the concept of forgiveness. We love it as a virtue we love it as an idea. We love stories of how someone forgave someone else that I don't know and I don't have to be involved. But when it comes to you, 
right? Like when someone hurts you, when someone messes with you or someone in your family and you're on the receiving end of injustice and cruel treatment, something that is unkind and something that is unfair, then what happens to forgiveness? It goes out the window. Well, that's a long way away. Then we start using words like repercussions, accountability, consequences. That's what we want. Payback, maybe. Possibly vengeance, at least in our minds. Right? We want that person to suffer. We want them to feel the ramifications of what they have done. We want justice. That's a word we hold on to, isn't it? When someone's done something to us, we want justice and forgiveness. Well, that was a nice little concept we talked about in church one time. But come on, man, it's the real world. Like that doesn't actually happen in real life, except maybe in some Amish community. Like this isn't us, you know? We're just not those kinds of people. When someone messes with me, I'm going to make sure they feel the full consequences of what they've done. And forgiveness is like way, 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 way back in the background. I think that's more the area that we're operating in a lot of the time, isn't it? So here's what I want you to see. It is so vital that we have the foundation of forgiveness in place. Before we go talking about us forgiving other people, we need to have the foundation in place ourselves. And I want to suggest that when we look at the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers, in the first instance, this is not a picture of human forgiveness. In the first instance, we need to see this as a picture of God forgiving us. That's what you should take from this story, is that we are all like those brothers. We're all standing there before God, and we're guilty, right? We are exactly like them. We've got sin in our past. We've got shame in our past. We've got things that we've done that we're not proud of. Maybe things that we've done we're blindly oblivious to. But we carry guilt and we deserve judgment. We deserve death. And yet God, just like Joseph, he comes to us and he says, come here, come close. And he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And we're expecting to hear this word of judgment. And instead, from our heavenly father, we hear this incredible word of grace spoken over our lives. We hear this incredible word of forgiveness. And God speaks to us with kindness rather than with harshness and severity. And he speaks this word of love rather than condemnation and this word of mercy rather than judgment. And he receives us and he embraces us and he holds us close. And he says, you're mine. I forgive you. You're my son. You're my daughter. This is a picture of God and how he treats you. I want you to seal that on your heart this morning. If nothing else, can you see this as a picture of the way that God treats you with kindness, the opposite of what any of us deserve? And only when you have that piece in place can then we even start talking about forgiving other people because that flows out of what God has done for us. God's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of someone else are inseparably linked. They are so tightly fused together. I don't even think we appreciate how closely those things go together. Someone who's helped to really frame this for me is a woman called Lisa Turkist. And I'm going to share a little bit of her story in a minute. But let me just, this is what she says about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't something hard that we have the option to do or not do. Forgiveness is something hard won that we have the opportunity to participate in. My ability to forgive others rises and falls on leaning into what Jesus has already done, which allows his grace for me 
to flow freely through me. Isn't that awesome? You see what she's saying? We assume forgiveness is this really big mountain we've got to climb. Like someone has wronged me and I'm carrying all this pain for that. And forgiveness is this heavy, heavy burden. I don't think I can do it. It's too hard. It feels too unfair and it feels too unjust. And Lisa Turk is just saying, it's not like that at all. We've got to see forgiveness is something that was accomplished at the cross. Forgiveness was accomplished by Jesus. It's not something that you do at all. It's something Jesus has already done at the cross. Jesus has provided forgiveness for you for all of your sin and wrongdoing, and he's provided forgiveness for the person who's committed whatever offense against you, whether or not they realize it. That forgiveness was provided at the cross. That's where it was won. That's where it was purchased. That's where it was sealed. So what God's saying to you now is, I just want you to open your heart and let me pour my forgiveness into your life. And then I want you to allow my forgiveness of you to flow through you out and to touch the life of the other person. I just want you to open your heart enough to receive my forgiveness and let it just work its way out through your life so that you're able to forgive that person. That really changes it for me. That is a game changer. Because now I don't see forgiveness primarily as something that I am doing, certainly not in my own strength. Now it's something I'm participating in Jesus doing. He is forgiving through me by his spirit. And what he asks is simply that I'm open to that. And yes, I need to cooperate with that. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy or pain-free, but it's not all on me anymore. I can see that forgiveness is leaning into Jesus and what he has already done at the cross. That's the source. That's the wellspring of our capacity to forgive anyone else who has wronged us. So we need to see that connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. It really is all one movement. It's one continuous flow. So let's talk practically then. What is forgiveness and what is it not? Well, firstly, forgiveness is not forgetting. Right? You've heard the cliche, right? Forgiving, forget, forgive and forget. I don't know who came up with that, but I think we, what should we do to that person? Forgive them, I suppose. You know, it's, it's not helpful, though, is it? That is so, and in fact, I would say that's a barrier to forgiveness because we feel like, what is that? Like, do I have to erase the memory of what this person has done to me? Do I have to minimize the pain that has been caused? Like, that's re- you feel that pain. You feel that hurt. Are you being asked to somehow sweep that under the rug? Well, I don't think that's how Joseph dealt with the situation. Have a quick look here in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Like that Joseph, just in case you needed reminding, I'm that guy, right? Any other Josephs in the room? I'm that one. So had he forgotten what had happened? I don't think so. He knew exactly what had happened. Of course he did. That was a painful, painful memory. It's just trauma that he'd gone through. He's not going to forget that. In fact, I want to suggest that forgiveness can't even happen until you're willing to name the full reality of the hurt that has happened. As long as you're minimizing it, as long as you're trying to pretend it didn't happen or wasn't really as bad, I don't think you can fully enter into forgiveness. Forgiveness begins by honestly naming the wrong that has happened. I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Naming that honestly to yourself, 
naming that honestly before God. Until you can confront the pain that has been inflicted on you and the wounds that have been inflicted on you, you won't be able to fully engage in that process of forgiveness. So don't ever think that forgiving means forgetting or that you're expected to minimize the pain of what's been done to you. No, you need to be able to stare that pain in the face and sit with that in order to fully engage in forgiveness. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiving is not forgetting. So what is it? What is forgiveness? Well, let me tell you a bit more of Lisa Turkist's story, and then we'll come back to Joseph. I became aware of Lisa Turkist a few years ago when I got recommended a book, an earlier book that she wrote called Uninvited. And the subheading is Living Loved When You Feel Less Than, Left Out, and Lonely. So I gave the book to Anna. <laughs> which she was greatly offended by for some reason. But she really enjoyed it. And then after she read that book, we discovered more of Lisa Turkist's story. And after Lisa had written that book, in fact, after she'd sent it to the publishers and hadn't even gotten it back yet, she found out that her husband of 25 years had been unfaithful to her repeatedly and was engaging in substance abuse. And initially, she talks about how she tried to forgive, uh, but his unfaithfulness continued and his substance abuse continued. And he didn't even want to be in the marriage anymore initially. And so she separated from him and she started thinking towards divorce. And then over an incredibly painful two and a half year period, God took Lisa on a journey of forgiveness. And she talks about going and seeing a counselor and one day that counselor sitting down with her just in one of the darkest moments, like at a time she was an absolute mess and just in the middle of her hurt, in the middle of her pain, and the counselor saying, today's a great day to start talking about forgiveness. And she just starts thinking, what are you talking about? What on earth? Where are you coming from? And that counselor just got her to write out on cards all the ways that she had been hurt, as many cards as you need. And so she just wrote out one after another. I think she said she ended up with about 40 cards sitting there in front of her, just all the different ways that her husband had hurt her time after time after time. And then her counselor gave her these little pieces of red felt, material felt. And he just asked her to place those pieces of red felt over each card, just as a symbolic way of recognizing that the blood of Jesus has covered each of those sins and transgressions, just a way of applying that forgiveness of Jesus to each of those hurts, not suggesting this is something that is coming from Lisa, but helping her see this is something that can come from Jesus, that the blood of Christ has and can and will cover over every one of those hurts and provide the forgiveness. That's where it comes from. And she talked about how through an incredibly agonizing, painful, painful time, God worked in her life to bring her to a place of forgiveness. And it was, it was brutal. She talks openly about her story. She shares it openly. And she, she says, you know, there were times when she was the only person who seemed to even believe that her marriage had a chance anymore. Everyone else had given up on it. She was the last person standing. And she says, I just kept saying to myself, I'm just going to give God a little bit more room to move. I'm just going to give God a little more room to move. And through a grueling couple of years, God led her through a journey of forgiveness. Eventually, she was able to reconcile with her husband. And a couple of years ago, they renewed their vows 
and they continue to be married to this day. That's not everybody's story, and certainly not every marriage separation ends that way. For her, it did. And she shares the story openly and lets her pain be seen so that it can be an encouragement to others who are on that journey. And she said something about forgiveness that I found really, really helpful. She talks about how forgiveness has to be both a decision and a process. I think this is great. It needs to be both. There needs to be a moment where you forgive. There needs to be a marked moment when you decide, I am going to forgive that person. As long as it's just an idea or just this nebulous kind of thing, it's not going to happen. There needs to be a marked moment where you come honestly before God and you release that person from the debt they owe you. And that, that's essentially what forgiveness is. Jesus talks about forgiveness being like that, releasing a debt. Right? There's a debt that's created when a wrong is done. There's an emotional debt that's created. You know that, right? You feel that when you've been hurt. And forgiveness is that moment of laying the debt down before God and acknowledging this debt is not something that the person has to pay. It's something that Jesus has already paid on the cross. He's already dealt with it on the cross. And so I can lay this down. I can release that person to God. I can lay down my right to get even. I can lay down my right to hold a personal grudge against that person. I release them to God. I release this debt to God. I lift this into Jesus' hands, knowing that it's already been taken care of and justice has been done on the cross. That's the moment of forgiveness. But that's only one side of the coin. Forgiveness then also needs to be a journey. Because you could have your moment, you could have your decision, and then you wake up the next morning with all those same feelings. You still feel angry. You still feel bitter. You still feel resentful. And you're like, well, what happened? Yesterday, I had my moment. I thought I, was, I, I forgave the person. How come I'm still, I've still got this? And, and God is saying to you, I, I want to take you on a journey of healing your heart. Just because you've forgiven that person doesn't mean all the negative emotions disappear. It doesn't mean suddenly you're internally reprogrammed and all those scars have healed over. Those are deep scars. They're going to take time. Those wounds are going to take time to heal. And God is saying, I want to lead you now on a journey. And this journey is about healing your heart. This journey is about healing your emotions over time. It could be a long, long period of time. And it means every time those emotions resurface, and they will, and that's normal. Every time they resurface, you lift them again to God and say, God, I just give these back to you. I don't want to let this fester in my life. I don't want this to become toxic. I know this is normal. I just lift these feelings again to you and just allow God to take them time and time and time again. Maybe even taking the bold step of praying for the person. That's hard, isn't it? When someone's offended you, when someone's wronged you, praying for that person. But this is what Jesus said, isn't it? Love your enemies. It's very hard over time to harbor deep bitterness towards someone that you are praying for. And this is the path the Holy Spirit will take you on, a path of healing and a path of renewing so that eventually you can tell your story in a new way, not focusing on the damage that was done, but focusing on the way in which God has worked and brought you through and given you a new hope and a new future. But that's a long journey. And forgiveness has to be both, a moment and a process. I think we can imply from this passage that it was both for Joseph Although we, the text doesn't tell us exactly how all this worked out in his life. But I think to get to the place that he was in chapter 45, he must already have been a fair way down this path. Don't you think so? Like we, we think of chapter 45 as the moment when Joseph forgave his brothers. I don't think it was. I don't think you can 
treat someone with that kind of kindness and compassion and forgive them all in the same moment. I think Joseph's already been on a journey here. So somewhere over those last 20 years, maybe sitting in his prison cell in Egypt, maybe as a, as a slave in Potiphar's house, we don't know, but he got to a point where he decided he was going to lay down that debt and not carry it, where he decided he wasn't going to be a victim and he wasn't going to be defined by what had been done to him in his past, but he was going to release his brothers. And that was just something that he did before him and God. The Bible doesn't tell us how or when that happens. I think we can imply it from when Joseph got to. And then following out from that, God has then obviously led Joseph on a journey of healing. Healing his emotions, and maybe he's not all the way through that journey yet, but he's obviously taken several steps to get to a point where he can treat his brothers with such kindness and such genuine love, such heartfelt love. God's obviously taken him on a healing journey. So Joseph had that moment of forgiveness, and he had that journey of forgiveness, and it's going to be the same with us. When someone's wronged us, whoever that person is that's wronged you, God asks you, is there going to be a marked moment where you're willing to forgive them? And then will you let him take you on a journey of healing and renewal and restoration? But here's one other thing I want to point out in the story about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a different thing to reconciliation. And I think we need to be really clear about that. In Joseph's story, I think you see this. I know that this is the great family reunion. I know everyone's hugging and kissing and weeping, right? And that's all good stuff. But even then, I think if you look closely in the text, I think that reunion was patchy. I think there's some signs there. This was not all that it maybe looks like it is. If you look at the response of the brothers, for example, from this point, in fact, their whole story right through, you know there's one word they never say. You know what it is? That's right. Sorry. Now, maybe they did at some other time. Maybe the author didn't record it for whatever reason. But it's not in the text. Never once did these brothers say, sorry. And even the reconciliation itself, you get to chapter 50, and there's a weird scene there where the brothers still don't think Joseph's forgiven them, and they think he's holding a grudge, and they make up another lie about what their dad has said, which he hadn't said. And they're trying to protect themselves, and it's like, man, they still don't get it. They're still edgy. They're still cagey towards Joseph. I think that reconciliation was very, very patchy. What it looks like to me is that Joseph was reconciled to Benjamin fully and the other 10 maybe, partially. I think there's still a lot of distance between those 10 and Joseph. So as we think about forgiveness, we've got to separate this out in our mind from reconciliation. Joseph was willing to forgive even though the relationships were not fully restored. There's going to be plenty of times when, for whatever reason, reconciliation cannot happen, right? Not every marriage can be repaired. Not every friendship can be put back together. Not every broken home can be mended. Sometimes, for whatever reason, that is just not possible. Sometimes it's because the person is still hurting you. They're still finding ways to hurt you. That does not mean you jump back into a relationship with that person. You've got to set healthy boundaries. You don't go and stand close to someone who is destructive, who is not a safe person. You keep away from that person. There are reasons why sometimes the relationship is not going to be put back together, and that may be perfectly appropriate. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive. Sometimes we assume that because the relationship can't be mended, 
Forgiveness cannot happen. And I think we see in Joseph's story that is not the case. Whatever happens to the relationship, whether things get better or worse from here, you before God can still honestly forgive that person and allow God to take you on that journey of healing, the forgiveness journey. doesn't matter what happens to that relationship. Lord willing, maybe there'll be reconciliation, but there may not. And those situations where the person shows no remorse at all, that's hard. That's incredibly hard. That's probably the most difficult situation to forgive, isn't it? When that person hasn't even acknowledged what they've done. And they're just going on living a great old life. Things are going great for them. They've got no idea. There's pain they've caused you. And yet even then, you call to mind that moment in Jesus' life where the nails are being driven through his hands. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the middle of being crucified, Jesus pleads for the Father's forgiveness towards the very people that are still hurting him. And again, this is not about you trying to conjure up good feelings towards the other person. It is about you leaning into what Jesus has done and saying, Jesus, if you found the strength in the Spirit to forgive those who are crucifying you, I pray you would give me your strength to forgive the one who is continuing to hurt me. And it doesn't mean you move close to them again. And it doesn't mean you don't put the healthy boundaries in place. And it doesn't mean there's not accountability for whatever they may be doing. But it still means that in the strength of Jesus within you, you can choose to forgive. Not in, you, not in your strength, but in the power of God, you can forgive someone, even the one who is not showing remorse. And so I want to ask you, just as we finish here, let's make this really personal. I want you to draw to mind the face, the name of that person who has hurt you. I want you to think about who that person is. Because we've, we've all been in that boat, right, to a greater or lesser extent. Maybe a long time ago, maybe really recently. Maybe it was some huge thing. Maybe some reasonably minor thing. doesn't matter. It's caused pain in your life. I want you to think about who that person is. And I want to ask you these two questions. Number one, have you made a decision to forgive? Maybe you've never got to that point, never even thought that it was appropriate. Maybe because you had forgiveness tangled up with reconciliation or you thought it meant to forget or whatever. You've never even gone there. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart and saying today is going to be your marked moment. Today is going to be that day that you are going to lay down the debt that you've been carrying all these years and you have never chosen to forgive. Well, don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel self-pity about that. Today is your day. Today is your day to honestly name before God the wrong that has been done and then lay down that debt and say, I believe that was paid for at the cross. I believe it was paid for by Jesus. So I just lean on his grace. I lean on his forgiveness. I lean on his justice. And now I choose to lay down that wrong that was done to me. Today can be that day of decision for you, just in the quietness of your own heart. And the second question have you allowed God to lead you on that journey of forgiveness? Some of you, maybe you've had the decision and you've kind of mentally forgiven the person, but you're still carrying all of that pain and you're still sitting in your pain today. You're still sitting in the hurt and that's, where you've, that's just where you've landed. And the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart today and saying, I want to lead you on a journey, a journey towards freedom. You don't have to stay in that place. It is absolutely natural for you to feel bitterness. It is absolutely normal for you to feel that pain 
No one is judging you for that. That's just not the place God wants you to stay. He says, I want to remove that root of bitterness from your life. And I want to replace it with love. I want to replace it with my kindness and my grace and my freedom and my spirit's presence in your life. God just wants to set your heart free today. And he says, will you take my hand and let me lead you on the, on the journey of forgiveness? Just step at a time, baby steps, but a slow and gradual journey of forgiving that person. That journey for you can start today. Or maybe you've gotten stuck somewhere along the way in that journey. And God's saying, let's take another step today. Lewis Smedes says, when we forgive someone, we set a prisoner free and we discover that the prisoner is us. That's forgiveness, right? God doesn't want you to live in bitterness. He wants you to be able to tell a different story. He doesn't want you just to sit in your pain. And the means that he's provided for your freedom is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift for you. It's not even about that other person. It's a gift for you. It's a gift to set your heart free. And the Holy Spirit may be prompting some of your hearts this morning to say, today is your day, hard as it may be. And even though it feels so unjust and so unfair, I encourage you again to lean into what Jesus has done for you. Don't feel like this is some heavy load you've got to carry. This is something that Jesus has already done. He's done the heavy lifting. He's carried the cross. He's secured forgiveness. He just says to you this morning, let me pour my forgiveness afresh into your heart. And then would you just give him enough room to move that that forgiveness could flow out from you toward the life of the person that has hurt you so badly? Would you give God that room to move today? Would you give him that space in your heart? Let me pray for you. Lord, I just want to lift up to you people in this room that are carrying that anger, that bitterness, that hatred towards someone who has hurt them so badly. And you see right into their heart this morning, Lord Jesus. You see that pain. And your heart breaks for them. Your heart breaks for that wrong that has been done. And I want to just pray, Holy Spirit, this morning that you would come and in, in the way that only you can. Would you set those hearts free today? Lord Jesus, would you remove the burden of thinking this all rests on us? And would you lead us into your grace and into your forgiveness more deeply, more fully? I pray for those this morning who are struggling to forgive, who maybe have a desire somewhere in them, but they just struggle with it. Lord, I pray that those words of, of Lisa Turkis might just rest in their heart. Just give God a little more room to move. Just give God a little bit more space to move. I pray, Holy Spirit, just for a softening of hearts and a willingness to allow you to work and to move even when we feel like we can't do it ourselves. We thank you for your incredible mercy that you have shown to each one of us. Lead us forward to forgive others as you have forgiven us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz 
or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.